My name is Pastor Chris, and I want to welcome you to, again, Easter at Evangel. I'm so glad that you're here. Church, can we welcome all those that are guests here with us this morning? Maybe Easter's your first time here, first time in a long time. want to welcome and give a shout out to our overflow and those watching on Church Online. Welcome. Man, today is a special day, and God's going to do something very special. Uh, man, you see what day it is on the calendar today. It's Easter Sunday, and it's important that we don't mix it up, right? We don't mix it up. we got to understand why we're here today, why this day is so important. And, um, and before I tell you that, I want to encourage you why next Sunday is so important as well. You know why? Because the resurrection isn't about a day, it's about a way. It's about a way to live our lives, and every single day, because of what happened on this day, we can walk in the power of the resurrection. And if you want to know more about that, what does it mean to really have a real living relationship with Jesus? Not just kind of something casual, not something you kind of drop in and out of, but to really learn what it means to grow in your faith. I'd encourage you to be here next Sunday. We're going to be getting ready to kick off a brand new series. And it's all about how to grow in your relationship with God, how to grow deeper roots and really understand what it means to live a transformed, a changed, a different life. It starts today, but it continues next week. So I hope you'll be here for that. And after service next week, I'd love to have lunch with you. If you're new to Evangel, newer, or you've been away for a while and come back, we'd love to connect. We have an event called New to You, and it's just lunch with me and some of our pastors. And we'd love to to connect right after um, our second service. So I hope you'll be here at 1230 next week and join us for service. But let's think about today. Today is Easter Sunday. It's a day that changed history. It's important that we know and understand not just this day, but the significance of this day. And I know in every church that's preaching this good news today, it's important that we, we want to know as a pastor that you get it, that you understand why we're here. And I think about the children upstairs and how many of you dropped off your children this morning and wondered if you walked onto a Hollywood set, right? I mean, it's amazing what they're experiencing. They're even from a young age. We want them to know the truth about this day. And it's gotten a little bit confusing maybe for some with the eggs and you got a bunny and you got uh, Jesus and you got a tomb. You got all these things going on. It's like, I, I don't want to mix it up. And it reminds me of uh, one Sunday school class and this teacher, Sally, she was teaching this class and she had gotten in and she had four-year-olds. Now, I have a four-year-old now, so I understand the weight of what you're thinking about, especially around Easter. She walks in to her classroom and she's like, I just want these kids to know the significance of today. And so she says to them, does anyone know what today is? And one of the kids shoot their hands up. It's, it's Easter Sunday. She's like, okay, good. They got, we got one. Um, she said, anyone know why it's important today? And the same girl raises her hand and she's thinking... Okay, you know, waiting for what's going to be said. Because to, today's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. A four-year-old. And she's like, yes. And she's just about to celebrate. And she says, but if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in for seven months. <laughs> this close. This close. Don't mix it up, right? Don't mix it up. She was this close. Four years old. But today's important. Today's, in fact, the day that changes history. Today's the day where everything rises and falls on this day. And I want to tell you why. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. It's all about this. And I want you to know something going into today, that everything hinges in the whole Christian faith on this one event, whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not. Whether this is just a story, whether it's a lie, or whether it is the truth, one scholar says it like this, if you can go and find the body of Jesus, all of Christianity will come crumbling to the ground, and it is true. We set everything on this truth that Jesus died, a real death, that he was buried, and that on the third day, he rose from the grave. That's what we celebrate today. We celebrate a real resurrection of a real and living God who came for us, and today I want to talk to you about that, and for us to look at this and to understand this passage, I want to turn your attention um, to a book in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul, and it's called 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the pew back in front of you. Uh, you can pull out your phone, and you can follow along. There are applications on your phone that you can read the Bible, but I'd encourage you to take a look at this. Because this is a, an amazing passage of Scripture that we're going to read together, and then we're going to dive into it and really understand about the reality, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus, because we got to know that we know that this happened. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying as he wrote this letter originally to this group of people, this church in Corinth. He says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, or the gospel, maybe in your translation, I preached to you before. 
You welcomed it then, and you stand firm on it, meaning now. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. He says, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He said this, I passed on to you what was most important or of first importance that was also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins According to the scriptures, or just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. My friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the truth. And he said this, not only that, but he was seen by Peter and by the 12. And after this, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, meaning at the time that this was written, they're still alive to tell the story about it. He said, though some have died, but in your scriptures, it probably says fallen asleep. We'll talk about that later. He was seen by James and later by the apostles. He was seen, he was seen, he was seen. Who was seen? Jesus. What's the significance that Jesus was seen? It's because when people die, they're supposed to stay dead. And you have to realize something on this side of the, of the empty tomb, that for the first Easter, no one was expecting a resurrection. On the very first Easter, no one was expecting there to be no one in the tomb. <laughs> they weren't expecting to show up and find that the stone had been rolled away. In fact, those that were closest to Jesus, even after they saw the tomb was empty, still did not believe that it could have been the resurrection. They thought that someone had taken the body of Jesus. And they thought that they were going to do something terrible to it. You see, it was illegal for someone to actually be buried if they had been crucified. They were supposed to be thrown in an open pit. They weren't supposed to be given the dignity of burial, but somehow Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man that was a secret follower of Jesus, made some deal with Pilate and with the officials to get the body of Jesus and bury him. So the disciples would think on that first Easter when the stone is rolled away and they get there, someone has come and taken the body. That's why Mary is so distraught. We don't get to understand the weight of the Saturday between Friday and Sunday. I need you to know there were no Christians on Saturday. I want you to know there was no believers. Everyone that had followed Jesus, even those that had witnessed firsthand his healing and even him raising a man from the dead, on that Saturday, there are no Christians, my friends. All that they're feeling in that moment is this guy is not who we thought he was. He's great. His teachings are amazing. His miracles are valid. All that happened. But evidently, he wasn't the person we thought he was. He's not God, he's not the Messiah. Messiahs don't die. God doesn't die. God can't be tortured. They look at the cross, they're in shock. I told the last service, we should call Saturday Shock Saturday. They're just in shock at what just happened. They have no idea what to do. So on that first Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a surprise to everyone, but not to God because he was writing the story all along. I want to speak to you today about the power and the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to speak to your hearts today. I want to speak to your heads today as well, to your mind. I want you to understand that for you and me, my prayer for you going into this Easter is that you will leave here with more confidence in the resurrection than you've ever had in your life. Because I really truly believe that everything hinges on this event, and I want you to know that. My friends, if the resurrection of Jesus did not take place, then this is the greatest April Fool's joke in the history of the world. This is the greatest deception that has ever happened. Because this is not, this church is not built on, the Christian faith is not built on just the teachings of Jesus, just the death of Jesus. It is built on the resurrection of Jesus, that he really raised from the dead, that he really ascended to the right hand of God, that he really is God in the flesh. And if he's not that, then everything comes crumbling to the ground. Do you feel me? Do you understand what I'm saying today? That's what's different than every other faith is that they have teachings, they have all those things, but we have someone who we have said has raised from the dead. Is it true or is it not? Is it just a story? Is it a myth or is it the reality? And I want to tell you that I think I'm talking to three people here today. I believe I'm talking to believers today. Is there any believers in the house that would say, yes, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave? I'm speaking to someone that just clapped and you're clapping, you're excited, but if you were really honest and you're afraid to be this honest in church, you believe, but there's some doubt maybe in your heart. Like, yeah, I believe, but it's kind of like a blind faith. Like, I've just kind of taken it at that, but I don't want to dig into it because I'm kind of nervous. Maybe. I, I don't know. Others of you today, 
you're in the house. You didn't clap. Uh, your arms are folded, whether I can see it or I can on the inside. You're like, I don't know how anyone could ever believe this. This is a fairy tale. This is like this, you know, I've heard a little bit. It's like myth. It's, you know, it's all this stuff from all this time. And, and this can't be, uh, how could anyone ever believe this? That's where you're at right now. So believers, non-believer, I can never believe this. And then others, you'd say, I used to believe. I used to believe. I used to be all in. I used to, I went through it. I got baptized. I, I, I filled out the card. I, I, I said the prayer. I did everything. But something happened in my life, and now I've lost faith. My prayer is that every single one of us would leave here with a different kind of confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to put before you today from the word of God. And I'm believing that not just through these words, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's going to speak something to every one of our hearts today that we will leave here different because of the resurrection. I'm convinced of this one thing because here's the deal. And this is probably why this message is one of my favorite messages that I've ever shared from this platform. It's because I grew up as an atheist. I grew up really genuinely believing that this is just like any other book. It's mythology. It's not true. It's not real. And so I'm just the least qualified person, I feel like, to be able to stand in front of you today thinking of my life and where God has brought me from. And yet it fills my heart with so much joy to know that I can stand here and confidently talk to you about the power and the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have a Lord and Savior that is risen. Amen? So let's walk into that and let's experience it together. And I want to tell you, you can search this. You can lean into this. You can look this up. In fact, a lot of what I want to talk to you about, some of the study I've done, is based upon an amazing uh, man. His name is Dr. Gary Habermas. And he has written a, um, a, a dissertation in a secular university that was had to be defended against scholars and some of the brightest minds, many whom were not believers in Jesus or in the resurrection. And his PhD dissertation was on the resurrection of Jesus Christ talking about the validity of it, needing to defend it. When they sat in front of him, they said, you can do it, but you can't just come to us with your paper and say, because the Bible told me so. Because what if we don't believe the Bible? So he had to establish proof and evidence. He's gone on to write books on this. He's gone on to be published. And what I'm going to share with you, a lot of that comes from some of the very amazing truths that he's come out with in the studies of, of the scriptures. And so, like I said, I'm going to speak to your heads and, and I'm believing that God's going to speak to your heart in the midst of that. And God's going to take us on a journey together. So let's take that journey now. A couple things you need to know about, because there are different kinds of scholars that are out there. There are people that are uh, very smart on every end of the spectrum. Many of them, they study the scriptures, they study the Bible, they know the history, they know all this, and they're believers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But friends, I want you to know as well that there are scholars and people that have devoted their lives and they're studying the Bible, and their end pursuit of that is that they are not believers in Jesus, and their goal is to disprove it is to show that it is not true. They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But here's what I'll tell you. If the spectrum is that, non-believers to um, faithful believers, wherever you would see in the midst of it, every single one of them that is a studied, learned scholar would agree on a few things. They would agree that Jesus really lived. I want you to know that. That's, that's ground, that's one. Like Jesus is not just someone that comes to us from the scriptures. He is a historical figure that has lived. No one, no scholar would, worth their salt would deny that Jesus actually existed. There was a time decades ago that they would, but that's totally gone out the door with more and more discoveries of ancient literatures that Jesus really lived. No one would deny that Jesus was executed by the Roman Empire. There is a lot of proof of that, historical proof outside of scripture. This man lived and this man was executed. He was executed by the Romans. So they would all know that. There's another man that they would all believe lived and know because of the, the, the world of that time and studying the history. And it's not just Jesus, but a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's a great movie out in theaters right now called Paul, the Apostle of Christ. And I encourage you, if you haven't seen it and think about seeing it, you can really get a picture of what's going on there in the life of Paul. But Paul's one of the most significant contributors to the scriptures because most of the New Testament's written by this man. And it's written as letters that were circulated around, 13 of them. Well, scholars have a problem with that on the far end. Those that want to discredit the scripture and discredit the resurrection would say, um, well, some of those aren't really from Paul. Some of those aren't really written by him. Um, you know, they're, they're not really, they're someone else, whatever. And they'll kind of try to pull at it and, and see. And over here is, no, these are all written by Paul. We see it, we understand it. But I want you to know, friends, that in the midst of that, of the 13, there are seven letters Seven books in the New Testament that scholars on every side say, we know that we know that we know that Paul wrote these letters. Are you with me? These are the seven. 
And they'd say, no matter what, we know. So no matter those that don't believe and don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, we believe and know that Paul wrote these letters. It's clear. Do you see one of them there that we're talking about today? 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written. Every scholar would say, yes, this was Paul that wrote it. They know that he wrote it and they know when he wrote it. I want you to understand this for just a moment. So let's, let's understand some timing because it's really important to understand the timing of what's going on here. The timing is of Jesus' death and resurrection. When did that happen? It was a real historical date, time. And then when was this letter written from the Corinthians? Because this is important because the biggest kind of um, comeback against Christianity, the greatest thing that someone would try to put in front of you to say that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, they would say it's a myth. Maybe you don't have to show your hands, but maybe someone that you've talked to, they've believed that, or maybe you believe that today. It's a myth. It's not real. Over time, it was a story that was circulated, just like one of those old fishing stories. You know, the fish was this big, and then it became this big. And, and so by the time they wrote it down, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but it was really something else, and whatever the case is. So many would say it's a myth. So the timing of Paul writing what we just read, because Paul's giving the gospel here, right? Did he say maybe Jesus rose from the dead? He said everything hinges on this. Jesus died for our sins according to scripture. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. When did he say that? So let's take a look at a timeline. First is when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Many scholars would say it's right around 30 AD. So we're going to pin it right there. 30 AD. Jesus rose from the grave. This is the moment in time that changed everything. So when did Paul write this letter to the Corinthian church? He wrote it in 55 AD. So let's take a look at 55 AD on a timeline here. I'm going to have you skip ahead to that for me. 55. So how long is that? 25 years of a difference. Say, Pastor, it feels like a long time. Well, here's the thing with the greatest myth arguments. It, it takes at least 40 to 60 years for a myth to be formed. Think about that. What do you think is significant about that timing? The significance of that timing is that for a myth to truly take form and shape, most, if not all, of the people that were eyewitnesses have to have already died, or they could easily disprove it with their own eyewitness accounts. So this is within 25 years. We're doing pretty good. But it gets better, church. It gets better. Because there's a couple things that happen in this moment. So this is when Paul's writing. This is when he's sharing the gospel. But Paul uses this phrase. Let's go back and let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. He's saying, let me remind you of something I already told you. But he said, I passed on to you what I also received. Ready for it? Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. Go ahead to verse 3 there. Just as the scriptures said. He died for our sins. Say it with me. Just as scriptures said. And then he was buried and he rose on the third day. Just as the scriptures said. Now, friends, what scriptures are, are we talking about here? The Jewish Old Testament scriptures. The Jewish Old Testament. Here's what Jesus actually said to his followers. He says to them in Luke chapter 24, he says to them in verses 44 through 46, after he had risen from the grave, he said, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is what Jesus told them on Easter Sunday. This is what he says to us today. It must be fulfilled. If God said it, then he is the promise keeper. He will do it. He will fulfill it. Jesus said it needed to happen, and God made it happen. Now, here's where it gets really amazing. These scriptures, how old are these scriptures? So we're, we're talking about a 25-year gap between Corinthians and when Jesus rose from the dead. What about the scriptures that are talking about Jesus? Those, if we're at 30 AD when Jesus died and rose from the grave, the scriptures we're talking about are written between 700 and 1,000 years earlier. Take a look at that. 700 BC to 1000 BC. These are some of the scriptures that he said must be fulfilled. So there are promises in church. Haven't we been studying them? For the last 40 days, we've studied every single day one of these promises, one of these Old Testament prophecies that talked with specifics. And weren't you amazed by the details, church? about Jesus, that he would live, that he'd be anointed, that he'd be born of a virgin, that he would live and then he would suffer and he would die, but the earth and the grave could not hold him and he would be resurrected to life, that he was God in the flesh. All of these prophecies and promises 
And they're written 700 to 1,000 years earlier. One of them that carries most of it, and you'll recognize this as you looked at many of these prophecies, is the prophet Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. So many prophecies specifically about Jesus. And so you look at that and you say, look, God already said it was going to happen. God already said it. I mean, this is a great convincing proof that Jesus is who God said he is because he said it 700 years to 1,000 years earlier. Are you with me? Makes sense. But here's what the scholars on this side would tell you. Yes, but what is the latest, earliest version of the book of Isaiah that you have? Because this was written down from Isaiah, and then it was copied over and over again meticulously until it was handed down to us to put into Scripture. So what's the earliest version of Isaiah that we have and can actually verify? They say the earliest version is 900 A.D., And so now over on this side, they're saying, look, 900 years after Jesus rose from the dead, of course it would say he was was crushed, he was pressed. They could have gone in there over all that time knowing about Jesus and kind of tweaked some of those things and made them say whatever they wanted to say. You got 900 years of history, 900 years of tradition. So your book of Isaiah, yes, it was from all the way back then, but the copy isn't that old. How do we know something wasn't changed? How do we know this is really it? That was, that, was a, that was a big question that many on that side would feel very confident in until 1947 happened. Pastor, what happened in 1947? I'm so glad you asked me that. Let me tell you. 1947, in southern Israel, out in the wilderness near the Dead Sea, the lowest point on earth, some shepherds are playing, and I, the story is that they're looking for some sheep before they have to go home, and they throw a rock into a cave hoping to scare out their sheep, And when they do, they hear a weird cracking sound as if it was a piece of pottery being smashed. 1947, they go down and they pull out these pottery clay jars. And when they look inside, there's scrolls inside. And they recognize in that moment they've just found something really, really significant. So they bring it to the antiquities department right there in Israel. And they say, you got to verify and look at this. We We don't know what it is, but you can verify if it's old and if it's real and what it is. They pull it out and they begin to find scrolls in sections of the Old Testament that date all the way back from the time of Jesus. And then out of that, of the first seven that they found, one of them was the book of Isaiah. And it was the entirety of the book. You don't understand how rare this is. Normally, if you find a part of a scroll, it could be this much with 20 words on it. The entire book of Isaiah completely kept, preserved over 2,000 years. And they look at it and they're looking at the timing of it. They said, what is the dating of this? When they came back with the dating and the scholars here and the scholars here and everyone's looking, what's the dating? 200 BC. 200 years before Jesus was ever born. This was written by someone's hand. And guess what? When you go to those prophecies, Don't you know not a word has changed? (laughs) Don't you know that you know that you know that it's the same? And you can go to Israel today, and you can walk into a place, a museum for the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's what they're called, and you can see the book of Isaiah, and you can, if you can learn to read the Greek, you can see the prophecies right there in front of you, written 200 years in someone's hand before Jesus was ever born. So this was amazing, that Jesus died and rose from the grave according to the scriptures, that they saw it, that they witnessed it, and it happened. It happened. So Paul, this is the gospel, and Paul wants to make sure that this is the truth of God's word, that this is real and reality. And so Paul said, I passed it on to you. So go back to verse um, 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what also was passed on to to me. So he's speaking to this church in Corinth. We said that this letter was written in 55, but Paul is talking in the letter in the past tense, meaning it's not I'm giving it to you right now. I gave it to you earlier. And so we have to ask the question, when did he do that? When did he give them the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead just as God said he would? When? Well, we know from Scripture, and as we look there at the timeline, that Paul founded a church in Corinth three years earlier. So let's go back to the timeline. 55, that's 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, whenever he sent the letter. 
Three years earlier, he had been with them in person when he first shared the gospel that Jesus has risen from the dead. So friends, we're now 22 years after the resurrection of Jesus. But it gets better. This was not the first church that Paul planted. And this was the gospel that Paul has always been preaching. He says it over and over again in his writings. The first church that Paul planted and preached this gospel to was in 44 AD in Cyprus. We see there that Paul planted his first church. And when he planted his first church, it was there that he shared this, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead according to the scripture. He he says it there, and that's the first place that he's preaching it in a church and establishing that church. Friends, we're 14 years after the resurrection of Jesus. You say, Pastor, 14 years is a long time. You're young if you're saying that. You're just, you're just too young. You don't get it. Come on, somebody in the room right now. Tell me 14 years. Is, you, you, like 14 years was yesterday, right? I mean, I can remember things well beyond 14 years ago. One of my first memories, in fact, my first memory going to a church that wasn't like a family member that brought me was one of my friends. And it was a very memorable event for me. And you'll know why, because you know uh, my, my favorite sports team. It was back in 1995. And my friend invited me to a Super Bowl party at his church over in Pittsburgh. And as I was there, I was so excited to go see my Pittsburgh Steelers had finally made it to the Super Bowl again. They had won four Super Bowls in the 70s, and we got really close, and we were, we were so excited. This was the year, and we had this song we sang, and, and it's like, we're going to get one for the thumb. We have the other four rings. We're getting one more, and we were ready. And we were just excited, and we were there, and they were playing, of all people, the Dallas Cowboys. It was Super Bowl 30. Does anyone remember Super Bowl 30? And man, they play this game, and, and Neil O'Donnell's a quarterback, and he starts throwing some interceptions. Come on, does anyone remember that? He's throwing the game away, and we're so frustrated. But as the game goes on, we start to catch our footing, and by the end, we pull out this comeback victory that no one ever expected. And the Steelers won their fifth Super Bowl. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> why, why are you saying that? Because you're not a fan of the Steelers? Why, why, why'd you say that? Huh? What happened? The Cowboys won. No, 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 the Steelers won. No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. How do you know the Cowboys won? You saw it with your own eyes. On TV. Live. Was it a recording? Could it have been doctored? Was it live? Friends, that's 14 years ago. Whenever you're preaching and sharing something, it doesn't matter how confident. Some of you are like, I believe. I'm excited about the Steelers winning that Super Bowl. It takes one eyewitness to say, no, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. This is crazy talk. It takes one person in a room this size. We're talking about a sports team. We're talking about someone that's resurrected from the dead. We saw Jesus, and he rose from the dead, and they were there, and Daryl saw him there. And they're not saying, uh-uh, no, no. They're saying, yes, he has risen indeed. 14 years later, Christ is risen. Yes, he's risen indeed. I want to tell you, the eyewitnesses are still alive in this moment in time. And they're testifying to this fact that they saw a real and risen Jesus. They're testifying to this fact of what happened to them. Whenever Paul goes on to say, we saw them, we saw them, we saw them. They were, he was seen. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. It says, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he was seen by Peter, and then by the 12. Let's say it again. And then he was seen, verse 6. Who else was he seen by? By more than 500 of his followers, whom are still alive today. Check the source. Talk to them. This is what Paul's saying. And every scholar on every side would say Paul was saying it at that time when these people who believed they saw a resurrected Jesus were still alive, some of whom had fallen asleep or died. In verse 7, he was seen by James. Does anyone know who James is? His brother. (laughs) And by the apostles. I want to give you another proof that can give you some confidence. The brother of Jesus, let that sink in for just a moment, called him Lord and God. How many of you have a sibling? Let me see your hands. (laughs) How many of your sibling is in the room today? Let me see your hands. You know the good, the bad, the ugly, right? You know when they're telling the truth and you know when they're lying. His brother called him God. 
And his brother died because he would not deny this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Are you with me, church? Do you see this? So Paul gets to this moment. I'm talking to the person today that you believe, but maybe there's doubt in your heart. You could never believe. Paul had a moment he talks about, and he says there's this moment when when I'm in the midst of all this, and I believe, and I had an encounter with Jesus because he had a very real encounter with Jesus after all this. Years later, Paul's life was changed. And he said, but I came to this moment that I wanted to make sure that everything I believed wasn't in vain. And so he says in another letter to to the Galatians that just happened to be on that same list we talked about of the seven undisputed letters that Paul wrote was one to the Galatians. And it's there that he writes and he says to them something. He said three years, look at verse 18, Galatians chapter one, three years after he came to Jesus, he was a believer. Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And I spent 15 days with him. What was he doing there? He was getting a sense, is this the truth? He wanted to hear again the eyewitness accounts of those that were there at the empty tomb, those that saw Jesus and touched Jesus. And he said, I saw him, and the only other apostle I saw at the time was James, the Lord's brother. And I declare before God that what I am telling you is not a lie. I went and I checked the source again because I believed and I was preaching it, and I was, but I had to go again and again. I'm going to go back to the eyewitnesses. Is this what it was? This is what happened to me. What happened to you is, is oh, this is it. This is the gospel. This is the truth. And he kept preaching. And he went to them to check that what he was sharing, Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day, according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. Is this what happened? Yes, he carried it away. This was three years after he became a Christian. So the question is, when did Paul become a believer? We know that date as well. And that date we find on the timeline is eight years earlier than him founding the church. So if we go back to the timeline, it's in 36 AD that Paul went to Jerusalem. That's the date he would have went and checked it because three years earlier in 33 AD is when Paul became a follower of Jesus. So it's in 33 AD. My friends, three years after the resurrection of Jesus, we have this moment in time where this man who's sharing this, it's within that period of time that he is speaking of, that he has received the gospel, put his faith in the gospel, and begun to follow Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but Paul was standing there on this day, at this time, because this is also the year that a man named Stephen became the first person to ever die for his faith. He was one of those that saw Jesus. He was one of those that was with Jesus. And they wanted him to deny that, but instead he shared it so confidently and he preached about the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul was standing there, but Paul wasn't listening to him in that moment. Paul's heart wasn't open to him in that moment. In fact, Paul wasn't even Paul. His name was Saul. And it was in that moment that he was there, hearing, listening, that he was on the completely other side of the spectrum. He was over here because he was a scholar. He was very learned. He knew all the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He knew everything that Stephen was saying to plead with the Jewish people, and it did nothing for him. And I want you to know, some of you, you've been in church before, and you've heard, and you've heard passionate declarations about who Jesus is, and it has done nothing for you. You've just stood there, and you're unchanged. Paul was that guy. He stood there, and as Stephen's saying it, and as the people rush him, and then take Stephen, because he declared the resurrection of Jesus and would not back down, they took him, and they stoned him to death. You could read about it at the end of Acts chapter 7. And as they're stoning him to death, he's looking up. He says, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. I see Jesus there. He's at the right hand, the Son of God. And he sees Jesus, and the people kill him. Then they're taking his life. And the Bible says, and Saul was standing there, and the witnesses were throwing their jackets at his feet. And then verse 1 of chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And let's put that up if you have Acts 8.1. And Saul approved of their killing him. What I love about his life is that it shows us, man, he is the least likely person to be saying, Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture, was buried and then was rose again because he stood by when someone was doing that. The man was put to death and he's like, yep, yep, blasphemy. Yep, that's not the truth. What happened to Saul? Jesus called his name. 
It wasn't just about hearing the message. It was about a living encounter with the risen Jesus. It changed Saul forever. He was on his way, breathing murderous threats against the followers of Jesus, looking to take them and imprison them. And it was there that Jesus met him in the road, called his name, struck him to the ground, and changed his life forever. And it was in that moment that he received the good news about what Jesus had done. It's there that he put his faith in that process, in a risen Savior, and it's there that the whole course of his life was changed forever. I wasn't on a road to Damascus, but I was on the road to the wrong place. And Jesus showed himself to someone like me who could not see anything. I've been through all the services. I've been through all of it. But when I had heard it and when I felt in my heart the Holy Spirit drawing me and Jesus drawing me, I responded. In that moment, I tell you, when I took a step forward, God met me and changed me on that day. And I've never been the same, friends. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not changed by just a teaching. We're not just changed by the miracles that Jesus had done long ago. We're not even just changed by his death. We're changed by the power of his resurrection. So I want to help you understand what this is really all about for us. Pastor Rick, you can come on up at this time. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen. This is the early creed. They say this is the earliest creed in Christianity. Creeds are used in places where many of them don't read and write. And so what you do is you would memorize a creed, and when you memorize this creed, you would use it to learn and internalize information that needed to be precise. And so this creed was taught because at that time, only 10 or 15% of people could read or write. So they had to memorize it. So what's the creed? Jesus, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day and he was seen. There are eyewitnesses of it. So this became this creed and he believed it. He put his faith in it. So what is the gospel, friends? What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures? It means this, that the payment for you and I, for all the things we've done wrong, for the real problem with sin that we have, our payment can be seen when you look at the cross. You look no further at the cross to see that there's a God that loved you so much that he sent his son to pay a debt that he didn't know because you owed a debt you could never pay. In all of your lifetimes, in all of your good works, I want you to know you can never pay the price for the sins we've committed. You can never do it. You'll never be good enough. And it's not something to put you down. It's a reality we have to come to. It's the reason why Jesus came because he knew we could never get there on our own. We could never have a relationship with God. We could never experience the forgiveness that God wants to bring into our lives without that payment being settled. And when you look at the cross, you see the payment for your sins. Last, um, on Friday night at our Good Friday service, I talked about this. And I talked about this word that Jesus spoke from the cross, one of the most powerful words ever uttered in human history. It's a, it's a word that changed and shaped the world that we know now today. Jesus, as he sat, as he, as he was there nailed to the cross in John 19, 30, it says this, after he had tasted the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And if you were here on Friday, you know what this is. This isn't three words, it's one word. And, and in the word is to tell us stay. To tell us stay is the word he said. It's a word he declared. It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a declaration of victory. It is finished, meaning it is done. The work is completed. The task is accomplished. I have conquered it. It's done. It's over. But another way that this word was used and the same thing he's saying is not just that. The word also means paid in full. Paid in full. They would use it when someone owed a debt or someone had to pay for something. And once it was paid for, they wrote it across the invoice and it meant it's done. It's paid in full. So when you look to the cross, you see the payment for your sins. You see the payment. You see that God paid a price that you could never pay. He did that for you and for me out of his incredible love. But when you look at the resurrection, you know what you see? Why the resurrection is so important? Because there's a lot of people that died. There are two other people that died on that day next to Jesus. The Bible says it. I want to tell you this, friends. If you go there and if we could have known in history, and let's just say 
For a second, there were a group of people, thousands of them, hundreds of them, that for the person on the left of Jesus, I don't know anything about him other than he deserved what he had there on the cross. But people came and they said, you know what? He's paying a price, not just for his sins, but for my sins as well. I put my sins on him, and if he dies, then I'm going to be forgiven. And I believe that if he dies, that he's taking the penalty for me. And I just believe it. The other people are looking at the other guy on the other cross and they're saying, yes, and I believe that he's taking up my sins. And I believe that if we trust him and that if he dies, then we can be forgiven and we can have a brand new life. I want to tell you, friends, that they die. What do we have as proof of whose sins are actually forgiven? The one who raises from the dead. The one who is still alive. There's proof and the proof is the resurrection. What proof do we have? Anyone can say this. I'm dying and I'm dying to pay a price for you. I'm dying to do all these things. What validates it? Think of it this way. You and I are going to the store. We're doing some shopping and I'm getting something that I've always wanted. It's very expensive. And I go and I put it on the cart and I bring it up to the cash register and there they will not let me pass that cash register and move towards the exit until the payment has been made. So when I get there, it's time to pay. And Jesus paid on the cross. He paid it. And we get to Sunday. What's Sunday all about then? What's the resurrection all about? You and I, we move towards the door. And as we're walking towards the door, before we get to the exit, what is there? There's someone waiting there because this is a really nice store. And they're saying, did you pay for that? Because what I got is so big. It's so great. I'm not going to put it in a bag. It's just there. And I could just be carrying out of there. They have no idea. And I tell them, no, 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 you don't get it. I already paid the price. I paid over there at the register. I paid at the register. I paid at the register. Say, what proof do you have that you paid at the register? Show me the receipt. And I pull out the receipt. And I say, here's the proof that it's been paid in full. Here's the proof that you can never come to me and tell me I have to pay for it again. You can't take it away from me. I have the receipt. I have the proof right here. It's a physical, visible evidence that everything I told you, that the debt has been paid, that it's settled, that it's mine now. I have the proof. The resurrection is the receipt, my friends. It is the proof that we have that Jesus is who Jesus said he was, that he is who God promised him to be, that he is God, that he is the son of God. God, that he gives us a brand new life. And if the resurrection is true, then everything Jesus said is true. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we have the resurrection of Jesus, we have the receipt. God raised him from the dead. Everyone saw it. And we have that today. And if we put our faith in that, it changes everything. Because if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have hope, my friends. If we don't have the resurrection, we can kind of hope and, and, and want and wish for things to go better, but we have no confidence in it. We can live without peace in this life if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true. But I want to tell you that if it's true, if we have the receipt, then we can have real peace. Then it changes everything. You know, this week was, it was a challenging week. We have someone that um, I, I care for deeply in our body. It's someone that was one of the first people that I had a chance to meet here at our church. He was one of our leaders for many years. His name is Steve Gamola. Steve has been battling with illness in his body. You know, Steve was such an encouragement, especially to me, when I first came on staff as a young adults pastor. And at times, even throughout the years, long before I was here, in this position, he said, you know, I think one day you might be pastor of this church. And he would say it earlier than, but well before anyone else would and long before I'd ever believe it. Steve was just an encourager and he always encouraged me and encouraged the body. Many of you know him. Steve had been dealing with illness in his body for some time. And, and yesterday morning, Steve entered into his eternal rest with his Lord. He went to be with the Lord. He passed away. This week on Monday, I had made some plans to go and see him. And um, on Sunday night, things went from bad to worse on Sunday night. And on Sunday night, he was rushed to the emergency room and he was in a lot of pain. And they said that something happened inside of him that um, was very difficult and was going to be very painful. And now it meant that, you know, the end would come. Without some kind of intervention, without some miracle or without some very evasive surgery, the end would come. And they said, but you got to brace yourself to the family because it's going to be very painful and very uncomfortable. 
we got there together and we just prayed. We prayed for God's peace. We prayed for God's hand to deliver him. We prayed for God's will to be accomplished. We just prayed that the Lord would just have mercy and grace over him and would lead him through this. And as I had a chance to talk to Steve, he said a couple things. He said, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready. But you don't know about Steve. Steve's been in our church 65 years. Steve walked in the doors of this church and Jesus Christ changed his life. The power of the resurrection became a reality in Steve's life and he was never the same again. And for 65 years, he served the Lord faithfully and walked with the Lord. And he said here at the end of his life, in the midst of pain, in the midst of maybe confusion and frustration, I'm ready to see Jesus. We prayed and he said, I've had peace all week. You can have peace and still have pain. Do you know that? And so we prayed. I said, we're believing God that if this is the timing, that all the pain the doctors talk about, that all the things they said would happen would not happen, that God's hand would just be over and that he would move from this place into his eternal place in heaven with peace. And every single day, I have to tell you, the testimony that came back was how God answered that prayer over and over and over and over again. And when I called on Saturday morning, yesterday morning, to come down and just, just do a visit before this morning, I said, Pastor, within the last hour, he just went to be with the Lord. His daughter said with her next breath, but this is now going to be the greatest Easter that Steve has ever seen because he's in the, the sight of his Lord and Savior. He's in the presence of the one whom he loved. I want you to know something today that because of the power of the resurrection, the worst day of your life becomes the best day of your life. That the worst thing you could ever go through, the valley of the shadow of death, becomes the best day of your life because you're received in the arms of a loving Savior that could say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's because of the resurrection that we can have that kind of peace. It's because of the resurrection that a family that has grown up and loved the Lord and learned that example that in a moment of great loss, they can experience what the Bible says is a peace that surpasses their understanding. It doesn't mean that there's no pain. It doesn't mean it's not difficult in trying, but it means that in the midst of that, there's a peace over them. This is the hope of the resurrection. It's not just the hope of it. It's the reality of it, my friends. The worst day in your life becomes the best day of your life. When Jesus is at work in you, we see the payment on the cross. We see the proof in the resurrection. And we see the power of the resurrection in our lives today. The amazing thing about the resurrection isn't that it happened, it's that it happens every single time someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead makes you alive from the inside out. The same power that conquered the grave is at work in you, resurrecting your life and giving you a hope and a future. And I can only tell you that I am an eyewitness of that because it's happened to me. And there are many here, it's happened to you, that the power of the resurrection has taken root in your heart. Because here's what I want to tell you. The resurrection isn't just a receipt that we would hold on to and look at. It's about what it purchased for me and me experiencing that, living in it and walking with it every single day. Because how, how, how good would it be for me to say, I got this amazing new thing. You're never going to guess what it is. It was so valuable. It was so amazing. And I have to share it with you. Come on, I want you to come to my house. Come on, you and your family. We're going to have a real nice dinner. We're going to just, we're going to really enjoy it. And I bring you to my house and we sit down and say, all right, what is it? What is it? Well, I'm, I'm going to show you. I tell you what it is. I say, man, wasn't it? And the, wow, that's so amazing. Oh man, I've always wanted that. That's amazing. I love it. And we're just talking about it. And they say, yeah, can I, can I see it? I mean, like, I really got to see it. And I pull out the receipt. Yep. Look at it. See, it says right there what it was. Wow, look how much it cost. I told you. I don't want to see. I want to experience it. I want to feel it. I want to touch it. I want it to be a part of my life. Church, when we just show up at Easter, man, and we go on from here, we just come to church once in a while and we go on living our old life. What are we doing? Come and check in if the receipt's still valid? Yep. It's like me going back and just looking in. Okay, I still got the receipt. That's good. No, that receipt purchased you something you can live with today. It purchased a power that you can walk in today. The power of the resurrection isn't just a proof. It's a power to raise you to new life, to help you to overcome sin in the broken parts of your life, to heal you from the inside out and change you if you come to Jesus with your whole heart. And so today, 
there's only one question that matters. Because Jesus said, as he stood at the grave of someone he loved, Lazarus, he said to his sister, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live even if they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? My friends, I want you to know the only thing that matters in eternity, the only thing that matters in this moment is whether or not you believe this. Is he your resurrection today? Is he your life today? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you willing to stand on that confidence? Because I want you to know, it is what turned the Roman Empire upside down and what brings us to today. The men that saw him with their own eyes, those that believed in the resurrection of Jesus, went to the grave believing in it. And many of them were being tortured and told, just say he didn't raise from the dead and we'll let you go. But they couldn't because they know what they'd seen and touched and experienced. This is the power of the resurrection in us. The resurrected king wants to resurrect your life today. But you have to come to him. How can you do that? In this moment, I want you to listen to the voice of God, who I believe is speaking to your heart. For the first time, for the first time in a long time, there's three things that you do. First is you admit. You admit you need him. You admit you can't do it on your own. You admit there is a problem. And the problem is called sin. And it's in your life. You know you've done it. And today you need the Lord. You're asking the Lord to forgive you of it. The second thing is you need to believe. You need to put your faith in Jesus. Do you believe this? Do I believe what? That Jesus died for your sins. That he was buried and on the third day God rose him from the dead for you. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And finally, see, you need to commit your life to follow Jesus. You need to allow yourself not to stand on the sidelines, to not let this be casual anymore, but to go all in in your walk with God, to give everything you are, to follow Jesus. You've tried everything else and you find no peace in any of them. You're as miserable or more miserable than you've ever been. And I want you to know all the church attendance in the world isn't going to change that. The only thing that will change it is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ taking root in your heart. And the only way that happens is coming to Jesus. That's the only way it can happen. I know what it's like to just come and sit in a service. But the day it all changed for me is when I could feel within me God was speaking to me. Whenever Jesus asked that question in John chapter 11, the next thing he ended up doing, he said, roll away the stone. And he spoke into the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come out. When the resurrection and the life calls your name, everything that is dead must come to life. Whenever Paul was dead on the inside, breathing murderous threats, what stopped him in his tracks and changed his life, Saul, Saul. When the resurrection speaks your name, when Mary was pleading with Jesus and she didn't even know it was him and she's standing at the tomb and she's like, where's the body of Jesus? Where's the, I just want to know where he is. He says, Mary, when he speaks her name, her eyes are open and she sees it's him all along. I just believe that as I've been talking today and as we've been in God's presence, that he's answering the prayer that I've been praying this entire time for you, that God, the creator of the universe, Jesus, the resurrection and the life would speak your name, would call you out today and say, today's the day to come to Jesus. And so if you're ready to do that today, I need you in this moment to be willing to take a step, to say, I'm not gonna stand on the sideline anymore, but I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And today I'm gonna invite you to make that known to me. I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you, but I don't know if you're here. And so I want to be able to do that. I want you to take this step. I want this day to be the greatest day of your life. I want for some of you, they said, I've fallen away. I'm so far from God, but I want to return to Jesus. I, I'm putting my faith in him afresh and anew today. I've been far. Or for those that are saying today for the first time, I put my faith in Jesus. I believe. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I believe he did it for me. And I want to follow him. If that's you today, and either of those, I'm gonna ask you in just one moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I'm telling you that now so you can get ready. 
Don't let this moment pass you by and do not worry about what the person on the left and on the right is, is going to tell you or, or, or think of you or anything like that. Don't worry if you came with someone and say, what are they going to think about? You know that this is a moment between you and God. And this is not a moment where it's just like, you know, where we're just going to kind of make it really awkward to try to do any of that. I want it to be a celebration moment because resurrection is all about celebration. And I want you to know that when you're willing to take this step and you wonder what's everyone going to think, you are going to hear a celebration erupt in this house because it's what happened to us and it's what we've been praying for and believing for. And I want you to know heaven is celebrating as well when one person makes a decision to stand for Jesus. And so today, if today's the day that you say, Pastor, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, I'm coming home or I'm putting my faith in him for the first time, when I count the three, I just want you to stand to your feet right now and I'm going to pray for you. Ready? One two, three. If that's you, stand to your feet. Come on, right now, stand to your feet. If that's you, don't let this moment pass you by. Come on, stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, are there anyone else? Stand to your feet right now. Come on, don't be, don't be nervous. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. If that's you, just stand to your feet right now. Come on, is there more? If you're in the overflow right now, just stand to your feet right in this moment. Come on, church, heaven's celebrating. Heaven celebrates with those that make a decision. Come on, you're here and you're holding back with everything in you, but you know today is the day. Don't let it pass you by. Stand to your feet even now. Right now, right now, stand to your feet. Listen, if you stood to your feet, I just need you to do one thing. I want you to come and meet me right here. Just come on right out of this, and I want to I pray for you right here. So just come on. Come on out of your seats. Come on, you're in the balcony. It'll take you 20 seconds to get here. Come on down. Just come on right down. Yeah, right here. Come on down here if you're there, if you're there. If you're in the overflow, come on right across the hall. Come and meet me. Today, if you didn't stand, but you know you need to be here, don't wait. Just come. Come forward right now. Come on, church. Don't stop. Let's keep celebrating. Come on. Let's keep celebrating. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone in the overflow? Have them come on over right now. Come on, church. We can do better than that. Let's celebrate. <laughs> Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Come on, someone else. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is a celebratory moment, but this is also a sacred moment because this is the moment where Jesus changes everything. And I don't want for the next few moments, I don't want anyone in the room moving around, anyone leaving. We'll, we'll dismiss you and we're going to dismiss you in a special way in a few moments. Don't worry. But in this moment, this is a moment where lives are being changed. I just feel deep within me. There's someone else. If you're holding back, don't, don't let that moment pass you by. Come, ready, even in your seat. We're all going to pray a prayer, and I want you that are saying this for the first time or for the first time in a long time to say this from the bottom of your heart. And in this moment, you're just committing your whole life, your whole self to Jesus. And you're praying what we've been talking about this whole time. You're putting your faith in him. And as you do this, this is a moment that changes everything, changed everything for me. But church, I want you to say it also from the bottom of your hearts. And let's just, let's say it and let's say it loudly before the Lord and just recommit all of our hearts to the Lord. Pray with me right now. If you're here, just close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And today, I believe in you. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were buried, and that on the third day, you rose again. And today, I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful. I'm so excited for what God's doing in this moment. And if you just said that prayer, we have an altar team. They're just going to start connecting with you. We want to just get information. We want to connect with you. I want to talk to you after you've made this decision. They're going to help that happen. So as that's happening, church, I want you to do something. We all have to respond to what we've heard today, every single one of us. And so the way we're going to respond is I want you to take out that card. Hold up that same card that they're filling out right now. Come on, you have that card right now. Before we leave today, 
I want you to fill that card out and I want you to, to make a decision. If you've made a decision to commit your life to Jesus and maybe you didn't come forward, you recommitted your heart to the Lord and this is that moment, but something kept you from being able to make that stand, just check off that card and let us know because we want to pray for you. And I promise you, every person in this, within the sound of my voice, we're going to pray for you. If you have a need in your body, then just lay that before the Lord. But I want us to all have a chance, every one of us, to just respond to what God has said right now. Maybe there's something you're praying for. We're going to pray with you. Maybe there's something you're celebrating. You're just celebrating now. Man, I know that I know. I have that confidence you talked about. Pastor, let me know. But let's all fill that out for the next 20 or 30 seconds. We'll have some light worship playing in the background. Finish that card. And then the ushers are going to collect those cards on your way out today. And as you're leaving, they're just going to be standing by every door. And I want every person that walks by, drop that card off. It's important that we, we get one from everyone. We want to know who's here. We want to know how we can pray for you. So just take 30 seconds as we're just worshiping the Lord right now. Just respond in your own heart. Respond on that card, how the Lord's led you. And then I'll dismiss us in just a moment.